0: Excuse me, And show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And his word is not in us. So as I say, John begins not with, as Paul begins, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writing to the church to the saints at whatever church he's writing to, whatever town he's writing to. He begins immediately with that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. He begins with a character, an account of, of Christ's person because Christ is the great subject of the gospel, the foundation and object of our faith and our hope. The Christ is, is called the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the a bond that we have to God the Father. See, we can't approach God the Father on our own without Christ. We'd be immediately consumed. Uh, the picture of that is the is the mountain Mount Sinai uh, that was uh, when Moses went up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. there were lightnings and thunders, and God, what did God say? He said, "Warn the people don't come near the mountain, don 't touch the mountain, even if an animal were to touch the mountain, he would be killed because God cannot tolerate any sin or any uh, unredeemed creature uh, in his presence, and the animals too are. Unredeemed creatures, because they suffered the fall, uh, uh, the effects of the fall, uh, as we have. Uh, So, without Christ, we could not know God. We could not approach the Father. But it's through the protection of the blood of Christ that we can we have access to the Father. John says, verse 1, the word of life. The word of life, uh, the Greek word here is logos. you have heard that word logos, L-O-G-O-S. Logos is word, translated word, translated logic. Uh, He is the word of life. He is the, but it's not just a, it doesn't mean he's like we think of a word, like I'm talking now and I'm saying words, that's not what he means. Uh, it's much more than that. Uh, not just a vocal word, uh, but he is the living word, the, the life, if you will. He is the life. When you think of God and Christ, Christ as the word of God. Think, think of him as the life, all-encompassing, uh, the living word. He's eternal life. He is uncreated life. He was from eternity. Uh, Christ was never created. That's that's a heresy that some uh, people believe that Christ was uh, born at one time, or God created. Uh, of course, He was born as a human being, but talking about the, as the second person of the Trinity, as as God, uh, some people think, well, He, you, know, God the Father created Him at some point uh, before the earth was was created. But that's not what the Bible teaches. teaches He was uncreated. Uh, that is, He was all has always lived from eternity. Uh, So he is, uh, that's how he can give us eternal life, because he is himself eternal. A finite, created creature could not give us eternal life. Only the eternal one can give us eternal life. Uh, But he we see in verse two, or continue, with verse one, uh, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the Word of Life. Uh, he was manifested; for the life was manifested. We have seen it, verse two, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. He would take the eternal; he, being eternal life, would put on flesh and blood, become a human being and be among us. Now think about that. That this person who is eternally, eternal life, uncreated life, should come to visit us and to become a human being. Why? To give us eternal life. I heard it once said that if... If there were a world of cows, a world populated by cows, and God wanted to come and, and save a lot of these cows, what would he come as? Cow. Okay. Well, God didn't come to save cows, he came to save human beings. So what did he come as? He came as a human being, and he died to save his people from their sins. He says, that's which we have heard in verse 1, and uh, also he says it in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. He's saying very simply, I'm the Apostle John, and all the other apostles and disciples and people living at the time, we have heard him. He had a mouth, he had a tongue, and he spoke words, he talked. So the apostles and, and other disciples, they not only heard of him, but they heard Christ himself. About three years, or more than three years, uh, they heard him speak publicly and they heard him speak privately uh, in his house. By the way, did you know Jesus had a house? It's true. It's true. Now, I didn't know that until Alice and I were studying the scripture recently, and it mentions him being in his house. So there was a time that Jesus had a house. Now, we don't know that he owned that house, or it's in my, it was probably a house that he was staying in at the time. Oh, but it referred to as his house. Uh, so they, they heard, the apostles heard him speak. And it says, to their eyes, that which we have seen with our eyes, in verse 1 and also verse 3. So not only did they hear him, but they saw him. Uh, they saw him in his life and ministry. They saw him in his transfiguration on the mount. Uh, they saw him on the cross, being tortured and dying and dead upon the cross, and they saw him after his return from the grave and resurrection from the dead. So his apostles are earwitnesses and eyewitnesses of Christ. Uh, for example in, in second, uh, second Peter he says and we were eyewitnesses of his majesty in Acts uh, 1, 21 and 22 wherefore of these men that have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of John must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection and then it says we beheld we beheld Uh, we have, we have seen him. We have heard him. We be, we uh, we, be, uh, we receive him. The senses are, are what informs our mind. So they saw that the, their, their hands have handled. They say of the word of life. So they've had a. Uh, they've not only seen and heard but felt. Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Thomas did after Christ's resurrection? He's he's he they said the Christ Christ has, has risen. And he hadn't seen him yet. And he said, even though he was a believer, he said, I, I can't believe that. You know, Only if I see him and touch him will I believe that he's risen. And later on, he saw Christ. And Christ said to Thomas, Put your hand. Where the nails were, my hand. Put your hand on the side, my side, where the spear went. He says, "You can see it's me." And he said, "I'm not a ghost." You know? He says, "I can." You can. You can. We know it wasn't a ghost because he could feel. All right? And Christ said, "I'm not a ghost. You know, I'm a as a resurrected body." Now his body was different than when he was on earth before the, before he died. Uh, he had a resurrected body. We don't know exactly what that means. He could pass through walls and appear in places and disappear but he also, people could feel him. And he said, I'm not a ghost, I'm not a spirit. He ate. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a picture of what our body will be when, when, when we are resurrected. So they saw him, they heard him, they felt him. They beheld him. So basically, what it comes down to is, they said that at one point in scripture, and I should have looked this up, but it says, uh, "You don't have to believe us." I think it's in the end of John. It says, you "Don't believe us." You know, hundreds of people who saw him, you know, at the time. I mean, if you're living at the time, you talked to hundreds of people. I said, "Yeah, we saw Christ after he was resurrected." Uh, so it's a rejection of the Christian revelation is really a rejection of sense itself. Because you're rejecting eyesight, hearing, touching. Okay. Just because you weren't there to do it. You know, we see by faith. You know, we have, we've been given the eyes of faith. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of things that we firmly believe in that we've never seen or heard or touched. It's, it's, just think about it. Um, there's there's all sorts of things. Have you ever seen or heard or touched an atom? If you believe there's there are such things as atoms, uh, or viruses, or you know things that astronomers tell us are out there that uh, they can't see, you know, necessarily. Uh, so there are all sorts of things that uh, we are convinced of. Um, have you ever seen or? touched or uh, felt uh, the country of Thailand? Do you believe it exists? All sorts of things like that. Uh, uh, there's, a ch- there's a very interesting verse in Mark sixteen 14. Uh, I'll just turn to that quickly. That relates to this. Said, Afterward he appeared this is after his uh, resurrection, unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So he, Christ criticized them because they believed not those who had seen him after he was risen. So somebody to reject Christ today is doing the same thing. They are believing not those who had seen him after his resurrection. Because that's what the scripture is. It's written by people who had seen him after his resurrection. So Christ condemns people for not believing those people who report him. Uh, Acts 4.20, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. It is evidence. And it's stands up to the most judicious examination. He says, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, John, again, that you may have fellowship with us in verse 3. The apostle doesn't mean personal fellowship, uh, obviously. He's dead. We can't have personal fellowship with him right now. Lord willingly will. Uh, But it's It's communion with each other. It's the blessings that come to us uh, through the fellowship of believers. Uh, There's a communion or or common participation in the community of faith that belongs to all saints, from the highest apostle to the the humblest believer. Uh, It's the same precious faith, the same promises, Uh, the same precious blessings, the same glories, enriching and fulfilling those promises. And it says here, And truly our fellowship, in verse 3, the last part, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We have communion with the Father, and we have communion with His Son, Jesus Christ. So the Gospel revelation advances us above sin and above earth and to carry us to a communion with the Father and with the Son. So that is why the eternal life, Jesus Christ was made flesh, that we might have eternal life so we can be in communication with Him and with the Father. In communion, rather, with Him and with the Father. So those who sincerely believe that they are Christians and want to be Christians and perhaps you know, we, we don't know, but, but if they're not having a spiritual communion with the Father and His Son, they're so living below what they could be living. They're so be- living below the abundant Christian life. Well, let's go on. Verse uh, 4 and 5. And these things write unto you that your joy may be full. And that goes with what I just said about the joyfulness of communion. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That is of his son Jesus Christ. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Light meaning darkness. Uh, purity, wisdom, holiness glory, there's no defect, there's no imperfection no mixture of anything uh, contrary to his character, Uh, in him is no darkness at all Uh, so it is is very uh, uh, appropriate that in this dark world God is represented as pure and perfect light We have the darkness of this world and sin and corruption represented as darkness. Satan is on the dark side. And uh, yet, who is light? God is light, and he's represented as pure and perfect in his light. So the conclusion of that part here... He goes on and says, to make a conclusion, he says, God is light, uh, and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him, so he he's basic, this is a conclusion based on what he just said. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sins okay conclusion to, to what he's just said if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness we lie okay and we, we do do not do not have the truth do not walk in the truth so to walk in the scripture language uh, is to live as God wants you to live okay or to walk in darkness is to live the other way So he's saying there may be those who may pretend to be great Christians, who may talk wonderfully as though they're great Christians, uh, who may act very holy, and yet their lives may be not that way. You know, they're when they're in church on Sunday, and they talk to people, or at some church supper, or Bible study. You know, they're very holy, but in their lives, other than that, they're not. And he says they lie and do not the truth. Or number two, the conviction or the uh, conclusion is. Those that are near to God, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Verse, uh, verse 7 there. Those that walk in their lives that demonstrate that they know God, that they have received the Spirit of God, that the divine uh, uh, divine God has, has impressed them so that they, they more and more walk you know, in sanctification, walk in a holy life. they are walking in the light and they have we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin, which gives us assurance of that. Uh, if If we say we have no sin, he says in verse eight, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We have to be aware of of deceiving ourselves in denying, or excusing our sins. It's not only saying I don't have any sin, but it's also excusing the sins that we do have. The more we see them, the more we we shall I put it this way, the more we know our sins, the more we'll love Christ and see our need for Christ. You know the the faith of the Bible is, is the faith of sinners, people who have sinned and, and whose who's, who's, we still have sinned in measure. Uh, the Christian life is a life of continued repentance, humiliation for, mortification of sin, of continual faith in Christ, of uh, thankfulness to God, love to Christ. Expectation of a day of redemption in which we shall be fully and finally free of, of of all of our sin, abolished forever. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his his word is not in us. First ten. So the denial of our sin not only deceives ourselves, but this is very important. It reflects dishonor upon God. And there are people who say they don't sin. You may have met someone. There's cults. The claim that you can get to the point where you don't sin. Well, that says God is a liar. Why does it say God is a liar? Genesis 8.21 says, through the imagination of man's heart is excuse, excuse me. Genesis 8.21, God said, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And God sent his son Jesus Christ to be a propitiation, to be a sacrifice for sin. so if we say we have no sin we're saying God is a liar because he said man sin there's no one that does good, no not one they're all sin, they've all gone out of the way so you're saying that God was wrong or wrong about me because I don't sin well, if you never sin you don't need a savior from sin, do you? I mean, if you're perfect you're going to go to heaven, right? so you don't need Jesus Christ So he's good for other people, but not for me. Is that a Christian attitude? No, of course not. Of course not. So if we say that we have not sinned, the Word of God is not in us, it says. Scripture says that. But we have to continually confess our sins and apply them by faith. Uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And what is, it, what is the promise, of course? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he then finishes up by instructing the believer in the way to the continued pardon of his sins. If we conf- it's an order. It's an order of... of uh, uh, well, he, he, puts, he puts an order to it. He says, if we confess our sins, verse 9... If we confess our sins, it's an if-then proposition. If we do this, God will do that. If we have penitent confession and acknowledgement of sin, that's our business, by the way. That's our duty. Acknowledging our sin, confessing them to Christ. I don't mean confessing them to at large, the world at large or getting them in front of a group and talking about how you've sinned unless you've sinned against that whole group. No. We're to confess our sins to God. And if we sin against someone else, go to them privately and confess that, yes. But our primary duty is to confess our sins to God. What did David say uh, when when he did that horrible act of of, uh, sending Bathsheba's husband to death? He said, I have sinned against God, his concern about I have sinned against God, against God only, he said. "Uh, I have sinned. So that's the only means of deliverance from our sins and from our guilt of sin. You know, we can be stuck and wallowed in guilt all the time over sin. Well, God doesn't want us to do that either. He says, Come to me, confess your sins in prayer, and I will forgive your sins through Jesus Christ. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to his covenant, he's faithful to his word. He promised forgiveness to penitent, believing confessors, people who confess their sins. He is just to himself. that he has provided such a sacrifice. His righteousness is declared in the justification of sinners. And he's just to his son because he sent him for that service. And he's promised to him that those who come through him shall be forgiven on his account. God the Father has promised to Christ that those who come through Christ, his son, shall be forgiven on the account of Christ's sacrifice. God's made that promise to Christ. don't think about that very often, but God has made that promise to Christ. He will forgive all of your sins and cleanse you from the guilt of all unrighteousness and in due time deliver you from the power and practice of it. See, admitting you commit sins and that you continue to sin, but you can't do anything about it and you can't save yourself is the first step your side of the work of salvation See, our salvation hangs upon the free promise of God in verse 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that's a free promise is there anything there that says you have to do all these good deeds and you have to go to church all the time And you, it's not you shouldn't but is there anything in there that says that's what your salvation is depending on no it says, if we confess our sins, be faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and it us from all unrighteousness, of course, in the, con- the larger context of believing in Christ. You can't just confess your sins and not be a believer in Christ. that's, that's the larger context of that. To finish, I'd like to go back to verse 4. I, I skimmed over it a little bit because I wanted to end with it. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. We often talk about the law and obeying God's word and his commandments and how important that is, and it's very important. But it's not salvation. That's not what salvation is made out of. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. See, the gospel is not fear, sorrow, Dread? Does I mean does he say in these things we write unto you that you may be scared, that you may be fearful, that you're go that you're going to hell? No, primarily that your joy may be full. The gospel is peace and joy. So we talked about Mount Sinai before. Terror and 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 and, and great fire and death. Attends Mount Sinai, but exaltation and joy is what characterizes Mount Zion, where where Christ appears, the eternal life, who is manifest. It should be a joy to us that the eternal Son of God should come to seek us out, to find us and to save us. He came to seek and save the lost, that who is lost. Remember the 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 uh, parable he taught, of the, the one sheep that went astray out of the whole flock. And what does what the shepherd do? He leaves the flock and he goes and he finds that one sheep that has gone astray and brings him back. And that's what Christ's love to us is. He seeks and saves you. He's made a full atonement for our sins, that he's conquered sin and death and hell. He lives as our intercessor and advocate with the Father, and that he will come again to perfect us and glorify us. Yes, we'll be perfected, not in this life, but we'll be perfected in the life to come. So that those who, who are not filled with spiritual joy, who live below this threshold here, are really missing out. And it's because they're not in God's Word enough. That's the main reason. They're not in God's Word enough. They're not steeped in God's Word. God's Word gives you faith. If you you don't... How many people here haven't plenty of faith? They don't need any more. I don't see any hands. My hand isn't up to you. Why is... You have not because you ask not. How often do you pray for more faith? Just ask God for more faith every time you pray. Maybe end your prayer with, Lord, give me, please give me more faith. Give me more faith. Give me more faith. So we should rejoice in our relationship to God as his sons and daughters and heirs. We are heirs with Christ. We've been adopted into God's family. In our relationship to the Son, and through Him to the Father we're members of, of a body co-heirs with Him and the pardoning of our sins the sanctification of our natures the, the adoption of, of us and the prospect of grace and glory that is going to be revealed at the return of the Lord if we really confirmed in our holy faith it, you, you could tell in our joy in our life We'll end with Acts 13:52. The disciples, disciples were filled with joy, and with the Holy Ghost, they were joyful people. Let's emulate them. Let's go to prayer.